two babies were saved during that week. Um, not only were minds changed, but two babies were saved. Uh, one um, we were able to meet later on, the other we haven't been able to meet. Welcome to the All of Life show. Today we have two very special guests. In fact, Ham and Peter are the hosts of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. And we are blessed to have them with us today. And we're going to be having a conversation, as you probably guessed, about pro-life stuff. So welcome to the show, Cam and Peter. Thank you very much for having us. Totally. Could you guys tell us a bit about yourselves? Like how... How did you even get started with uh, a podcast about pro-life? Uh, how how did you get into this movement? Yeah, so uh, in some ways, it's a really long story for me. So I, I got a crazy guilt trip to get involved in the pro-life movement back when I was at the University of Victoria in British Columbia. I um, I was raised in a Christian home. I, I was always against abortion. Um, I signed up for the pro-life club because they needed enough members to be able to register as a ratified club. And so I got guilt tripped by a friend of mine into doing that. Uh, two years later, I was on the executive. And two years after that, I was working full time in the movement. Um, and that was almost 10 years ago now. Um, so I've been working full time for the parent organization of the Pro-Life Guys podcast called CCBR, the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. And when COVID hit, what, just over a year and a half ago or so, we started having conversations about how do we take our conventional outreach? Outreach sees us on street corners and on doorsteps day after day after day, equipping people to be out there, be active in their communities, engaging their friends and family members and random people in their community in conversations about abortion. How do we translate that in a way that is going to mobilize people during a pandemic? Because we realized that our, our staff members, our, our interns, we couldn't go community to community. We couldn't drive across Canada reaching hundreds of thousands of people. We needed to mobilize the people who were quarantined with their friends and family, their roommates, their, their family members. And so we kind of launched this podcast to try to equip an entire, um, we, we call it an, an army of pro-lifers. We're caveat, we're not, we're not a violent army. We're a very peaceful army of pro-lifers that are having conversations. And it's been a, a bit of a whirlwind since then, right, Peter? I mean, we've been doing this for just over a year. Um, our first episode aired at the end of July 2020. Um, and it's been a bit of a wild ride since then, just trying to equip people with the tools they need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion. That's awesome. You guys have been doing a great job, especially a year into it. You've had some amazing guests. You've had some amazing episodes. And uh, it's it's just such an interesting time to dive into a podcast and to reach out to people. Peter, how about for you? What, what was your initial diving into um, this whole movement and podcast thing? Yeah, I, I let Cam go first because he's been in the movement far longer than I have. And it's just a seniority <laughs> thing, you know. <laughs> um, no, in so uh, CCBR, so the organization Cam mentioned that we work for, uh, they were initially based in Calgary on the western part of Canada. But then in 2013 or 2014, they started moving towards the east um, because the, the majority of Canadians live in Ontario uh, in the greater Toronto area. And that's the area they wanted to reach. And so they they moved to the area. They sort of. Um, were part of the same sort of church communities that I was a part of. And so I was introduced to CCBR, introduced to some of their projects and took part in 2014 in 
uh, a week-long crash course where we, we received two and a half days of pretty intensive training. And then we, we took to the streets for the other two and a half days to use what we learned in the conversations and in the activism we did on the streets. And I did it as sort of like, you know, I, I became friends with these folks. I, you know, I thought, you know, let's humor them and and uh, and take part in their crash course. Uh, the organ, the the group, the company I worked for, we were kind of slow in the summer. It was just the natural cycle of the market, and so I could easily take the time off. Took the time off, but two babies were saved during that week. Um, not only were minds changed, but two babies were saved. Uh, one um, we were able to meet later on. The other we haven't been able to meet. And that sort of convicted me. I mean, this is this is something we can be a part of where people can actually change their minds and we can see babies saved. So I stayed involved a little bit, joined uh, in early 2015, a project called the Abortion Awareness Project, uh, which is a, another one week um, project, and then took part in their four month long internship program uh, during the summer months. And then after that, I, I stayed joined staff and I've been part of the organization for the most part, ever since then. That has to be such such a thrilling just moment realizing, like you said, two babies saved. Like you went in thinking, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And and then you see this fruit, you see this life, act, real true life happen. And and the excitement that must just fill you in that moment, it's, it's incredible. So what is the climate like in Canada? And how would you say if it differs from the United States and how would you say it's the same? Who, who is further along in their, in their abortion uh, laws? <laughs> Sorry, in, in terms of laws, it's not even a contest. I mean, um, Americans are so much further ahead. I know that there's definitely pockets, whether it's the Californias or New York states of the world or whatever, that are um, very quote unquote liberal when it comes to legislation. I mean, in, in Canada, we literally have no legal protection for preborn children period. Um, a couple months ago, Peter and I were covering uh, a bill that was being proposed in our legislative government about whether or not we would ban the, the sex selective killing of baby girls simply because they're baby girls. And, and that wasn't even a close vote. It, it got blown out of the water. It wasn't even close to being able to protect preborn baby girls from being killed because they're baby girls. And so on a legislative legislative side, I would say it, it's not even a question. The way that, Peter, I'd be interested in your take on this as well, but the way that I often characterize the conversations between Americans and Canadians, we do this mission trip down to Florida every year. And the way I describe it is that you go up to a random stranger in Florida and just ask them how they're doing. And like nine times out of 10, they're going to give you this really weird look. I'm like, why would you ask me that? I, I don't know you. Um, that kind of thing. <laughs> and But if, if you ask um, people what they think about abortion, what they think about religion or politics or anything like that, nine times out of 10, they're going to give you a full explanation as to where they're at. In Canada, that's the exact opposite. You ask some random person in the coffee shop how they're doing, you're going to have a 15-minute conversation with them, even though you have no idea who they are. They're just so polite, so... Friendly, you ask them about abortion, they shut down very, very quickly for a lot of people. They, they've never thought about the issue before. And so that that's why it's such a an interesting art to be able to draw people into conversations from my experience of, of we're at such a different spot when it comes to not only being able to talk about the abortion issue, but even being prepared to think about it. Um, it it's been on the back bench for so many people for so long that with, with no pro-life legislation or no legislation around abortion whatsoever for over 30 years now in Canada, it's, it's become the status quo that 
people just accept abortion. And that's something that, that CCBR and the Pro-Life Guys podcast has really been pushing back against, I guess. You guys do, part of your podcast, you do news updates from all around the world and what where abortion is at in different portions of the world. So off, off the cuff, do you guys um, have some of those statistics where you could just say like, this is where, uh, this is what countries are doing with abortion right now? Yeah. So I, off the top of my head, I, I think of countries most similar to Canada um, and, and America. So in America, you've got legislation where it's, it has to be allowed at least in the third trimester throughout all states. Many states will have some kind of legislation earlier than that. Um, but you've got England, where in England, the UK, you've got 24 weeks. Up until 24 weeks, abortion um, can be performed. After that, it has to be a life-threatening situation unless the child is diagnosed with any form of disability, whether that's Down syndrome, whether that's a cleft palate, whether that's a, um, a webbed finger, anything like that. You can have an abortion up until 40 weeks. Mm-hmm. Most of Europe is somewhat similar, ranging between 12 weeks and 20 weeks gestation as to where they draw the line. Um, Countries like France and Germany and others will be in that that ballpark 12, 14 weeks sort of thing. There's almost always exceptions for the quote-unquote health of the mother, which can be a very dubious line for a lot of countries mm-hmm. as to what constitutes health of the mother. Tragically, Ireland, another country similar to us here in North America, they just legalized abortion by popular vote back in 2018. They're at 12 weeks, but pushing to open that up further beyond that. Yet into Asia, and it's a little bit trickier to to hash out as to what the legislation is versus what the practice is. But for most countries, I mean, there's only only three countries in the entire world that have no legislation on abortion, and that's Canada, North Korea, and China. And so, not not necessarily the, wow. the human rights bastions that we want to be clumped in with. But thankfully, America has actually been leading the charge in a lot of ways in supporting pro-life nations in holding against the pro-abortion forces. Obviously, there's a lot of pro-abortion forces coming from the states as well, whether it's the Bill and Melinda Gates or, or Planned Parenthood or whatever it may be. But there's a tremendous amount of pro-life support that's going towards countries like Poland, where Poland has basically no legal abortion. Uh, Many South American, Latin American countries, Malta as well in Mediterranean has um, no abortions legally performed. And there's a ton of incredible American pro-life support that's going around the world because of how far um, forward you folks are when it comes to pro-life strategy and pro-life messaging and whatnot. And you guys are supporting a ton of folks around the world. We've certainly benefited from a lot of groups like Created Equal and others in the States that have really been um, incredibly supportive in, in helping develop strategies that are going to work to get where you guys have already gotten. And, and obviously, you guys have a long ways to go yet, um, but we certainly um, are, are very encouraged by what we see happening in the States, I guess. So something we wanted to discuss with you guys was how do you have these conversations with people? How do you actually break the ice, have a conversation that's fruitful and productive and not just have it devolve into a shouting match or, or people walking away and never speaking to each other again. What is your first step as you're going? Cause you said you guys go door knocking when you can. And that, that to most people, the idea of even doing that to share their faith is terrifying. And then they think, oh, I'm going to go talk to somebody about abortion. There's nothing controversial about this. How do you guys do that? Peter, maybe you can touch on that because you were just talking about before we started the podcast, how you guys do that, which is so interesting to me. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And that's that's a question that so many people actually have. I did a presentation several weeks ago for a small local youth group, and I asked them, how many of you have ever seen someone change their mind on abortion because of a conversation that you had with them? And uh, not one person raised their hand. And a lot of Christians are like this, right? Like we have this particular position on abortion and we talk about it um, very passionately after church on Sunday morning, but we don't really know how to engage the culture with it. Let me start perhaps with a few ways not to to talk about abortion. Um, there's this mentality that sort of facts don't care about your feelings. And so we go into this conversation being like, this is the fact, you know, you are, you are wrong. Um, I don't know how many of your listeners have ever changed their mind um, when someone approached them on the street and said, you know, you're wrong <laughs> about this, this, this position that you uh, very passionately hold to. And so um, we need to recognize that we need to come with the, uh, to this conversation with the truth about what abortion actually is, but also with love for that person. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we need to recognize that they came to their worldview because of their experiences, perhaps. Perhaps there are a lot of things that have happened in their lives that we are just not aware about. And so we need to come at this conversation compassionately. We need to care about the person. We often say, before I get into some of the tactics, we often say that at the end of a conversation about abortion, people will remember two things. Number one, they'll remember the image you showed them. So we will show them abortion victim photos to show them what abortion does. So they'll remember the image and they'll remember how you treated them. Right. You could have half an hour of really good apologetics, but they're not going to remember all of that. They're going to remember how you treated them and they're going to remember what they saw. So we get into a conversation. Most people will say um, some sort of justification for abortion, be it a circumstance that the mother might be in. The mother's too young. Uh, the child has some sort of disability. Perhaps uh, the, the mother's in school, has a career. Um, the, the parents aren't supportive. There are financial complications. You name it. And so they are coming at that particular place and we are coming at the the abortion issue with a sort of the question at the heart of the debate which is who are pre-born children right if they're not human beings created in the image of god then who cares right that's like taking a kidney out but if they are then that's the the that's the hinge on which we determine whether abortion is right or not and so we need to bridge the gap between where they are to where we want them to go And so the first thing we do is we try to create common ground with them. So I had a conversation not too long ago where someone said that abortion should be okay when the person just has no money. They have no security financially. They have no support at home. And I could find common ground with that, right? Not only is it difficult to just be pregnant. My wife's been pregnant twice and there are complications and challenges and body changes and so many things that come with that. But just the added challenge of having no security, no finances, no support. And so I created common ground. I said, I agree with you that it must be extremely difficult to be someone who's pregnant and just not just you don't even know where you're going to get your next meal, never mind your child's. So we, we build this rapport, we connect with them, we, we show them that, you know, we care not just about the pro-life issue, but also about them. And then what we do is we use an analogy. And, and, and by way of using analogy, we often do it with what's called trotting out the toddler. And, uh, and this is where we say, so let me just, let's just say that there's a woman who's going through this. Perhaps you're thinking about a woman in your mind. And she says, you know what? I'm going to go through with this pregnancy. I don't know how I'm going to get the money, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. Um, she gives birth to the child. And four months later, after birth, she is overwhelmed. The money has run out. Her family has left her. She's in all these difficult circumstances. And, and I create common ground again. Like we can agree that this is terrible, right? Person will say, yes, absolutely. 
And I say, should she be allowed to end the life of her child then? And, and not one person that I've talked to has said four months, five months, maybe with one or two random exceptions for people who are trying to just, you know, play devil's advocate or, or you know, argue for argument's sake without actually seeking the truth. Most people will say, absolutely not. We should never be allowed to end the life of a child after birth. And so my follow-up question, so I've created common ground. I've used this analogy to compare born children with pre-born children. And then I tie it all together with a question. And I say something along the lines of, if we wouldn't be allowed to end the life of a four-month-old child after birth because the mother is in a difficult financial situation, why should we be allowed to end the life of the very same child for the very same reason before birth, right? Just a few months earlier. Um, sometimes that's what does it. I've had conversations where, where people were blown away um, just by that. And then I've challenged them just to make sure that they actually did change their mind and they were using apologetics back on me. Uh, but sometimes people will say something like, well, it's different. They're different, right? They're not the same. They're not human. They're not persons, whatever. But the key thing, what we've done is we've taken the conversation from where they were in terms of the circumstance. And now the challenge that they have for us is the preborn child is not human. Preborn child is not a person or, or they're not human with any sort of moral significance when it comes to this conversation. And this is where we want the conversation. We want to, we want everything to hinge on whether they're human. So this is how we've taken it to that point. And Cam, I'd, I'd love for you to jump in. How do we respond? Cam's the biologist. He has a degree in, in, in biology and a background in yeah, all things biology or m many things biology. So Cam, help us out a little bit. How do we have this conversation when someone says um, they're not human? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just um, for the record, you don't need a biology degree to know how to do this. We got four <laughs> yeah, very, right. very simple questions. The just first question really is, good is Cam. <laughs> yeah, the first one, I mean, people say all the time, like I get to work within my field because I've got a background in genetics and no, I, I use my like grade nine biology max. Um, First question is, uh, so four questions we want to ask. One, can we agree that all humans should get human rights? And that's something that the vast majority of people are going to agree with. And the second one is where we start getting into the, the basic biology and, and asking if something is growing, even from one cell, the two cell, the four cells, isn't it alive? Right? Like, like not all living things grow, but all growing things are alive. So if something is growing, isn't it alive? Third question capitalizes on that by asking, if that living organism has human parents, isn't he or she a living human? And then we all wrap it up together with a final question of asking, doesn't that make abortion a human rights violation? You demonstrate very simply that you have a growing, living member of the human family from the moment of fertilization, from one cells to two cells to four cells, we have a living entity it's a member of the human family based on who their parents are you've got a human genetic code you're operating as a unique individual you have a living human being albeit they don't look like you or i they they don't function like you or i yet but that's because of their age right you've got a living human being from the moment of fertilization and all of the differences that exist between them and us as adults, whether it's self-awareness or conscious thought or communication or whatever it may be, all of those differences exist as a function of their age. And we just have to ask, why can't they communicate? Why can't they survive on their own? Why don't they look like you or I? Why don't they have a brain? Why don't they have any of that? It's because of how old they are. So how is age-based discrimination any better than any other form of discrimination? 
we rightly call out discrimination based on skin color and ethnicity and, and gender and all this kind of stuff, and rightly so. How is age-based discrimination any better? So th those are kind of the, the two routes that we go of asking those four key questions. And then if they bring up any difference between born and pre-born humans, we just ask why that difference exists. And for a lot of people, that brings them to a pretty clear understanding that the pro-life worldview is not some crazy intent steeped in doctrine and you have to believe a whole bunch of different tenants that, that you don't understand. This is something very, very basic that we don't kill innocent humans to solve problems. No matter how hard the problem is, we never kill an innocent human to solve that problem, I guess. Would you say that is the most effective counter argument to, because I'm sure the conversation will all, almost always go to what about in the case of rape or when the, um, when the health of the mother is at jeopardy? What do you, is that the argument you guys normally use for that? Or do you take a different approach on those questions? We, we would absolutely walk through a very similar route. Peter found that common ground. We would really want to make sure that that person knows that we agree with them on the, the absolute um, heinous crime of abortion, uh, sorry, of, of sexual assault and rape, right? That we're going to say something along the lines of, you know, you and I agree that rape is one of the most heinous crimes in our world. And we need to do more to prevent it from happening in the first place. We need to do more to punish the guilty perpetrator. We need to do more to support that innocent victim, whether they become pregnant or not. Like we're on the same page. This is a terrible thing that needs to be addressed. And then we're going to trot out the toddler just like Peter had done before. And, and maybe I'll say, imagine there's a mom with a two-year-old kid and, and she's in a very, very good relationship, but her husband loses his job and becomes an alcoholic and becomes physically abusive towards her and the child. What are we going to do? The first thing we're going to do is get her and the kid out of that abusive relationship. But if that mom looks at her two-year-old kid now and says, all this kid does is remind me of that violent perpetrator. I'm not reminded of a loving relationship. I'm constantly triggered on, towards that traumatic experience. And, and I can't keep doing this. And I don't want to put them into an adoptive family or something like that. Would we ever suggest that we allow her to kill her two-year-old child because they're a constant reminder of an abusive relationship? Well, no. And so if we're not willing to kill a born child because of the reminder that they are, because um, they, they point towards a, a, a hateful relationship, why would we be willing to kill a preborn child? Why not help the mother in the same way that we would if the child was born? And that pivots us back towards the, those same four human rights questions, I find. And, and so that, that's how I would do the, um, the sexual assault one. Peter, I don't know if you want to add on that or, or touch on the, the um, health of the mother there. Yeah, I'll, I'll add on that. So one of the things that I'll sometimes do in conversations um, is just ask, do you know someone who's experienced this? Um, and the reason for this is because I do want to talk about abortion. I want to talk about the humanity of preborn children and why it's not a good idea to, to end their lives and why it's immoral to do so. But sometimes the person I'm talking to is actually relating to me the experience that they've gone through or that someone really close to them has gone through. I had a conversation in downtown Hamilton, Hamilton, Ontario, uh, for your listeners, um, uh, uh, several weeks ago, and she was telling me some awful experiences that she's had uh, in the past. And those were the experiences that really informed her position on abortion, right? That this was, you know, because she had gone through these experiences, she had become pregnant be uh, through them. Um, this is why she supported abortion. And so for me to just talk about abortion in a sense and, and try to 
you know, find my way in that conversation could be helpful. But what I wanted to do first was really emphasize my care and compassion for her. So I was asking her questions like, uh, you know, is this person still in your life? Are these people still in your life? Um, have you been able to, to find healing and help? Are you, have you gone to the local authorities and has there been justice for what's been done? Um, we, we want to have a focus on abortion. And one of the things we talk about, Cam and I, on the podcast is when we are distracted by other conversations, be it sex ed, sex education and stuff, and we don't talk about abortion, the babies lose. But in, in cases like this, we need to sort of take a step aside for a minute to show our care and concern for the person in front of us. So be that a complete stranger uh, for your guests or be that a coworker uh, or, or someone we study with. We need to uh, to really show concern. You know, one of the it's one of these things being in a financial situation, a difficult financial situation is is challenging. It's got to be extremely difficult. But to be violated and to be a victim, uh, be made a victim through sexual assault and, and abuse um, is something very, very tragic. It's something we see time and again on the streets. And it's something we really need to address carefully with with love and compassion. Go ahead. No, no, take it away. (laughs) Something that has been, I feel like, more of a trend recently, I would say in the last five to ten years, has been this transition from if you met a Christian, you could pretty much guarantee that they were going to be pro-life. Now you can have conversations with people, oh, you love Jesus, I love Jesus, and and then you bring this topic up, and it's like, no, no, I, I, and and it, 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 it's become almost like, well, hey, you have your your opinion, I have my opinion, and the, the whole argument just ends up in the realm of two opposing opinions based on whatever your preference is. How do you approach somebody with that? How how would you engage another Christian who seems, as, as I would es- estimate, incorrect in this position? <laughs> so I, I, I think it's, it's such a good question. And, and I feel like a lot of it is because of the hostility in our society, that, that Christians are so tired of having people jump down their throats. And they're so tired of being on the defensive that, unfortunately, over the last, yeah, like you said, five, 10 years, there's been a much more passive, you know what, you do you, um, or or just like, no, no judgment here, you do whatever you want sort of thing. And I think that it, it demands uh, an encouragement for Christians and, and equipping for these Christians to be able to adequately defend their worldview in a way that doesn't have them come across as the oppressive, uh, misogynistic kind of person that that being pro-life shouldn't be an oppressive worldview. Being pro-life shouldn't be the weird position and you feel uncomfortable and insecure with your, your coworkers who aren't pro-life. As I mentioned before, like this is literally holding the position that we can't kill innocent, vulnerable human beings to solve problems. And so I think that for a lot of Christians, what, what I've done is to try to embolden them into looking at the injustices that they do oppose around the world, whether it's human trafficking, whether it's racism or, or gender um, violence and, and things like this, and, and try to help them understand why is that inappropriate? Why is it inappropriate? Um, for, for spouse abuse or child abuse or something like that and showing them, okay, well, it's because it's a somebody in a position of power abusing somebody who is weak, whether physically weak or, or status-wise weak or something like that. And, and rights are there for the victims, not for the perpetrators, right? And so helping them understand why it is that they oppose the things that may be easier to oppose, whether, like I said, human trafficking, things like that. Christians have, have been very bold in in 
their fight against human trafficking, and rightly so. But how is it that we can withstand attacks from the media around human trafficking, but not abortion? And if we use the language and understand the concepts as to we think that all humans should get human rights, especially the weak and vulnerable, we recognize that that the, the trafficking of children from Southeast Asia is awful. And it's made even more awful because of how weak and vulnerable these children are when they're often put into to sex trafficking or human trafficking rings. If we draw that out and they're even weaker and even more vulnerable and the violence being perpetrated against them is even more severe in that it's literally killing them, shouldn't that demand even greater attention or, or at least allow us to defend that worldview even greater? Um, and this isn't a, an attack on women. This isn't an attack on the feminist movement, but rather a much more holistic. And so I, I find that what's most necessary for Christians is certainly a, a biblical understanding. And, and Peter, uh, um, possibly you can touch on that, biblical understanding as to why we need to defend the widow and the orphan. Um, and sometimes we need to go even further back. But for a lot of Christians that at least you can assume that, that they're defending some widows and some orphans, helping them understand why they're defending that widow and that orphan, and then helping them to see the other weak and vulnerable members of our society, I guess, is what I find really valuable for Christians to really embolden them in this conversation about abortion so they don't have to feel like they're being oppressive by holding the pro-life worldview, so that they don't have to feel like they're being um, the radical by saying that abortion is wrong. No, it, it's a very radical position to say that abortion is okay, that killing a weak and innocent human being is okay, not vice versa. I guess that that's what often comes to my mind. The thing that I feel is like the most compelling argument, I guess, um, is getting them to see that this is a life. This is somebody that, that you care about them on both sides. I like that Peter earlier, you referenced like the facts don't care about your feelings and uh, that is something like, yeah, that may be true, but you're another human being who should care about that other human being. So let's let's engage them on that level. Let's actually start with uh, less offense to to them and and work from there and actually have this this human being to human being. We're made in the image of God. We I love you and I want to have this conversation with you because I think that what has been the most successful thing in this day and age, and I think this is politics in general, is the argument, whatever the argument is, if, if they can successfully reframe that argument in such a way that now anyone who opposes it isn't just disagreeing friend, in, in a friendly manner, they're actually hate-filled, bigoted, evil, you know, whatever the, the phobia or thing that they can attribute to that person. And, and nobody wants to be called names. Uh, nobody wants to be accused of being a hater. And so most Christians, in fact, are are kind people. They wish to be, you know, nice to people. And they're like, oh, man, oh, shoot, I never really thought about this. We're not we're not really accustomed to having to confront or be confronted by somebody who is is just attacking us without basis. And so we assume there must be something I'm missing. There must be something I have done to to offend this person. And I appreciate that you guys you 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 try to just bypass that whole thing. Like, okay, let's we're not going to have that argument. We're not going to engage on I'm not hateful like and and let it distract from the actual truth of what the point is that you're trying to to get to. So, I I just want to 
affirm and encourage that, I guess, at this point and, and just say, I, I, I love the fact that you guys go for the heart, you go for uh, the truth in it, but it isn't uh, an either or kind of paradox type of thing that, you, that people have to abandon one for the other. Yeah, just to, just to touch on that, um, to, to highlight how that happens in real time, I guess. We get called uh, all sorts of things all the time. You know, we hate women's rights. We hate reproductive justice. Um, like these these are the terms, right, that people put to it. Choice, reproductive justice, human rights, women's rights. And, and so because of that, we hate women. And so all sorts of accusations get thrown at us when we attempt to have conversations in the streets. And I don't know what Cam does, but what I do is is... I, I want to respond internally. I want to like have this battle because I like do you know having these 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 verbal battles. Um, but the, but often the very first thing I respond with is you know do you think all humans should get human rights? And a lot of times, almost every single time, they they sort of just forget about the accusation they gave to me. They either walk away or they entertain me in conversation, and we actually get to the point. And so so for me, I just try to ignore it, and then through the conversation, you know, like you said, show them that that I actually do. I'm a, I'm a human being. I, I care about them. I care about having a good conversation. I'm not going to yell at them. And, uh, you know, let's just challenge each other uh, in this moment and see where we can go. I also wanted to add to that um, when I was thinking, as you guys have been talking, like, especially as Christians, if we claim not only to um, hold to human rights for everyone, the way that we treat and consider everyone, whether before the womb or while they're still in the womb or after, if if we're engaging in arguments with um, believers or non-believers, they're still made in the image of God. That's what we believe. So why would we be treating them in a hostile way or um, in a negative and uh, hateful way just at the expense of um, being right or wrong, you know, like being right or wrong in this instance is not as important as, like you said, Peter, taking the, their takeaway from that. Sometimes it is just about planting a seed and the, them having an experience with a Christian who says, you know what, we do disagree on this. Here is the truth, but I still love you and I'm still going to treat you with respect because that because you have human rights, just like a baby in the womb would have. It's something we tell our kids all the time because we we end up having to break up fights with them all the time. And it's usually that somebody did something and it was offensive to the other one. And so the other one escalated it to another point. And in the entire problem is that each of them fails to see each other as as human. Now, they're the, the enemy. They're, they've demonized the other person. And so it's just this like attack, attack, attack. And there's no humanity involved. And you're like, hey, if you could just take a moment, take a break and see that your sister or your brother, uh, that was an accident. And you don't need to go down that path of now I'm just going to destroy you because, you know, I have justice in mind. Uh, that That is the thing. It's like if we as Christians, if we can see that justice belongs to God, if we can see that the Lord is the one who ultimately has the last word in all of this, we don't need to fear. And it, it, I think it exposes in us our own lack of faith and belief that God is in control. God has the last word. When we forget that, then we just go, hold on. We're like Peter, not this Peter, but Peter, the disciple, busting out his sword and chopping off an ear. It's like, I have to, I have to leap in. I have to attack. I have to do something because this person, their argument is going, is threatening the Lord. And it's like, God's looking at that and going, ha, huh, that's, that's cute that you think that like, you know, I can't handle myself. So 
I, I just, I, I love that you guys have such an approach of, of grace and, and love and engaging people's heart. I guess what is what is your guys's next step with the movement that you guys have? Um, Peter had mentioned before we started rolling the podcast that um, as far as the way that your mission has kind of changed through the um, cultural climate and what's going on with the coronavirus, that has obviously that's like what brought you guys to start the podcast, which is incredible and how amazing things happen after not so great things happen. So what is next for you guys and your mission and um, what are you hoping to see? Um, and actually, I'm going to add to that. A lot of times when I think of abortion, I think, what is the what is the best um, way to advocate for these unborn babies? Do we go for the whole thing, the whole chunk and say, abortion should be 100% illegal, we should never do it in any circumstances? Or do we go in smaller chunks um, legislatively and try to um, chip away at it? Uh, Peter, maybe you can um, answer that one. Sure. Yeah. To, to start off with the first one, in many ways, our mission sort of remains the same. Our goal is to unify Christians and pro-lifers to highlight the importance of them getting involved in this battle, to show them that the biblical support for getting involved in injustice is not just like optional, uh, but happens to be mandatory for the Christian church. Uh, and, and then to equip people to have those good conversations. So we want to get people together behind, you know, a strategy that you, they can utilize in their communities and then equip them to have those good conversations and then provide the experience um, and the the sort of mentorship as we take to the streets. We go door to door. We encourage people to have conversations wherever they are able. And so, uh, yeah, COVID has, has changed a lot of things. The restrictions that we faced uh, over the past year and a half have uh, have changed a lot of things in some ways, but our mission is the same. So our goal with the podcast is to improvise in a sense, is to to get a new audience. It's it's to still be able to reach out to people and share the message uh, that we're sharing. And that's what we want to do. We, we, we don't want to be stagnant in the, you know, this is what we did three years ago. This is what we're doing today. Uh, if it worked what we did three years ago, if it works today, then we're going to keep doing it. If it doesn't quite work as well, we're going to look for something new and, and something better that we can use to, to get more and more Christians on board, more and more pro-lifers on board with the message and, and, and really highlight the, the mission, the vision for them and the importance of getting involved and then bringing them to the streets with these good apologetics. Now, in terms of in terms of uh, of sort of the political strategy, do we do we go for all? Um, do we go for some? This is a, a topic of heated discussion in some circles. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with those circles. Um, our position, so we, so for, first off, we are uh, an educational organization. So while we work sort of somewhat closely uh, in some ways with groups that do political work. We don't do political work. We do cultural changing work in the sense that our, our mission, so the more conversations we have and the more people we show abortion victim photos to, the more successful in a sense we are uh, because the truth of abortion is getting to the, the broad reaches of the culture. But in terms of uh, of the political strategy, our goal is to be moral immediatists in that we are fighting for everything, right? If human life, if my life and your life began at the moment of fertilization, then my life and your life and everyone else's life from the moment of fertilization is valuable. It's a life created in the image of God. As Cam said, that their function is different now. Their development stage is different now. Their environment is different than ours now. Their size is different than ours. Their, their level of dependency is different than ours, and yet they are still created in the image of God. And they're in a vulnerable state, and we happen to know what God thinks about vulnerable of people in vulnerable positions and how we ought to treat them. And so our goal is to get everything we can 
um, and, and really not stop until every preborn child in this nation is protected uh, and and everyone, you know, is sort of against abortion. Our main goal is to make abortion unthinkable through the work that we do. In terms of policy, though, I mean, Cam referenced the the bill that we had talked about. Bill C-233 uh, is what it was called, um, the sex selective abortion bill. That I mean, sex selective abortion bill, according to one poll by the National Post, uh, what was it, Cam, 84% or 86% of Canadians supported a sex selective abortion bill. Uh, the unfortunate reality is that you know, those 86% of Canadians were not represented in our, in our parliament. Um, and the parliament, by a large majority, voted against a sex-selective abortion bill, which in a sense is like, in one way it's targeting abortion, but in another sense it's like, we can't end the life of a little baby girl because we want a boy, or we can't end the life of a boy because we want a girl. Like, where are the women's rights activists here? Where's our feminist prime minister, Justin Trudeau, and his very feminist liberal party, uh, along with everyone else who likes to champion these slogans, these feminist slogans? Where are they about the preborn children in the womb? Um, it's disappointing. So um, while we're moral immediatists, uh, just the, 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 the place we are in right now, culturally, politically, we must be strategic incrementalists. Um, we must go for exactly what we can go for, recognizing that right now, today, tomorrow, we're not going to get everything we want. That's an unfortunate reality. We hate it. We wish it wasn't so. Um, but our goal is to be as, as wise as serpents, as it were, and as gentle as doves in the political realm as well to sort of claw back on the abortion sort of wave that's that's really just destroyed in many ways our culture over the last 50 years. Cam, I don't know if you want to add to that or touch on that, but that would be that would be our my response about that. Yeah, I I often think of the metaphor or the imagery of and and I apologize, this is very very graphic imagery, but if you think about a train that is rumbling down the tracks and there are people laying on the tracks and and there are people strapped to the tracks for for hundreds and hundreds of miles and you ask the question okay well do i work on getting as many people off of the tracks right in front of the train or do i work on stopping the train and i think that peter's explanation speaks to both that we need to have the the moral immediatists that are working for the lives of every single person who is st strapped on the track they're trying to stop the train and that largely goes through educational means the, the political stuff has to be, how do I get this next person off of the tracks and not, can I stop this train 14 miles from here and save the thousands of people who are after that 14 mile mark while quote unquote sacrificing the people before that point in saying that I'm going to do everything that I can to, to save the next person on the track. That might mean that there's somebody else on the track that doesn't get saved immediately, but we need to be working on both ends. And I, I think that that's important for people to recognize that this isn't just a matter of by saying we're going to get that person off the track right in front of the train, we're condemning the next person on the track that we're not able to save, but rather we're going to try to save as many human beings in the here and now as we possibly can. If that means a heartbeat bill, if that means a bill that says that every medical facility has to have hallways at least eight feet wide, whatever it means to save as many babies as possible in the immediate future. That's the incremental strategic approach we need to take while also taking the moral um, absolutist approach of, but every child, whether it whether they have a heartbeat or not, whether it's 12 weeks or earlier sort of thing, we need to save every single one of these children 
We just need to look at what is possible right now and save every child that is possible to save today and tomorrow and the next day while also trying to stop the engine itself that is killing the other children. So I, I sometimes I, I find that metaphor helpful, but Peter, I think you laid that out really, really well. So what would you guys tell the listeners who are they're listening to this and they're thinking, yeah, th this all sounds good, but really I'm just one person. What can I possibly do? I'm, I'm not even Canadian. I can't get involved with those guys up there. I, I, I live in, you know, the United States or vice versa. How would you engage that person? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. One of the first things I would say is you have a sphere of influence that I don't have access to. You have family relations, you have friend relations, you have colleagues, you have people you study with, you have your barber, you, whatever, whoever it might be in your life that you see for, you know, on a regular basis, your, your neighbors, perhaps there's a sphere of influence that we don't have access to. And so while Cam and I work for an organization, we work to train people and we spend time on the streets, we're not going to be able to reach everyone and we're not going to be able to have a relationship with everyone. And so while you may be one person, you may be one person who changes one other person's mind. You may be one person who changes multiple people's minds or really challenges people so that later on they change their mind or whatever it might be. And so the, the one person, just because you're one person, that's not insignificant. You have these, these connections. And so our, our recommendation and our uh, suggestion would be, you know, get some training, get some apologetics, perhaps listen back to what we talked about in terms of these uh, conversational tactics of finding common ground, of using analogies, of asking questions, of using the four questions that Cam highlighted, which we call the human rights argument, of just, you know, getting this frame of mind. I did a talk, uh, sorry to, 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 to divert for a second. I did a talk again uh, several weeks ago, and one of the pieces of feedback that I heard was from a, a girl who was like, I can't believe these apologetics are so simple. Right. I can't like I can't believe I don't have to learn an equivalent to the cosmological or, you know, argument or, or all of these massive arguments for the existence of God, uh, as important as they may be. I can't believe that you're just telling me to find common ground and, and compare born children with preborn children and ask particular questions. And so get the training. Um, perhaps get involved with an organization that's near you. Cam, you mentioned Created Equal in Columbus, Ohio. There are other organizations that do fantastic work around the United States as well. Um, but not only that, um, the, the pro-life movement certainly needs people on the front lines, but the pro-life movement also needs people behind the scenes, right? A lot of the work that we do can't happen without the financial partnership uh, of those who are backing Cam personally and me personally of our organization um, and organizations across our, our country and, and the United States. And, uh, and this is a spiritual battle in so many ways. And so we must pray for the end of abortion. We must pray for the missionaries who are fighting this battle. And we must pray for opportunities for ourselves to, you know, to, to talk to the neighbor, talk to whoever it is to challenge them, uh, to provide support for them, um, you know, in the areas that we can. If I could add on to that, I, I would love to encourage people to allow us to help you sort of thing. So Peter's talked about some of the talks that he's done. I've given um, lots of talks for, for small groups and large groups and whatnot. And, and Peter mentioned the crash course that he was a part of that really got him started in the pro-life movement. We run these not only in our Calgary and Toronto office a couple times a year each year, but we'd love to come to your hometown, whether it's your church community, whether it's your local pro-life group, whatever it may be. And this isn't just a matter of we stand up on the podium, we tell you how to do it, and then we, we send you out there to um, 
to, to change the world sort of thing, the way that we try to do it, and, and Peter kind of alluded to it, we come down, whether it's for a weekend, whether it's for a week, whether it's even for longer, we do a lot of training, and then we go shoulder to shoulder with you to a doorstep or to a street corner. You listen to some of our conversations. You have some of your conversations with us as your safety net. If you get tongue-tied, if you have a hard time remembering um, all the questions, because there's a, um, there, there's stuff that they can be difficult to remember in in the heat of the moment sort of thing um we'd love to to come and visit different churches across canada in america around the world both peter and i have spoken to to groups in america um this is one of the silver linings of of um covid that everyone has learned how to do um zoom and video calls and whatnot so if if your, your church isn't in a position to fly peter and i down to do a weekend conference we can do a video call and everyone knows how to do that now and so get trained and allow us to help you in the outreach because again we're we're training thousands of people every year we just need to make sure that that translates into thousands of people who are having the conversations and not just thousands of people who are better educated the education is the first step but certainly not the final step is all that i wanted to add there I love that. And I think that's a great, you're equipping the saints. <laughs> pro, the pro-life movement is a part of the gospel because Jesus cares about these unborn babies and we should too. And so it should be a part of equipping the saints. Um, I would love for you guys to give me Cam first, then Peter. I would love if you can think of your favorite podcast episode that you guys have done, an interview or an episode that you guys have done, because we have to send our listeners to you guys. You have a fantastic podcast and we would love um, to hear one of your favorites you can't say all of them <laughs> oh man there, there are so many that come to mind and and peter and i probably should have coordinated this beforehand but I, i'm gonna peter i'm gonna leave you maybe the the a-list people that we've had on we've had the stephanie gray connors and and scott klusendorf and peter maybe if you want to touch on one of those one that really really stands out to me we had this this beautiful young woman named aura navas come on she she herself is a victim of sexual assault um and she did a a um, internship with CCBR and she, the, the episode, um, we, we did it several months ago and it's called speaking light into the darkness of sexual assault and just her perspective as a victim herself and how she was able to speak truth and speak light into such a dark, dark scenario is a beautiful conversation with her. Um, somebody that, that none of your listeners would be familiar with, I would assume, but such a beautiful take on how to connect to people in such a meaningful, such a compassionate and such a human way. It, it's not just the arguments. We've had some incredible apologists join the show, but it, in such a very raw and real way, how to encounter somebody who has lived through that traumatic experience. It was a beautiful, beautiful episode. Um, I'll, I'll pull up the, the episode number while Peter shares his, unless Peter, you've got it off the top of your head, but that, that's one that really stands out to me. Unfortunately, I don't have it on top of my head. I'm sorry, sir. It, it's probably somewhere within the first 20, first 15, yeah, something like that. I would I would have to agree with Cam, but I'll, I'll say a, a different one. Um, we had a conversation. Let me uh, let me find it here. Episode 43 and 44, I found particularly enlightening. Episode 43 was with uh, Allison Santafonte. She works for a live action. Uh, I think they're out of California, but they do some phenomenal work. And she talked about the abortion pill. The abortion pill has been rising tremendously in its usage uh, and the amount that the abortion industry is pushing it. Uh, and it's it's a essentially it's a, a take home abortion procedure, right? It's, it's that procedure that you can do at home. Um, so she talked about the abortion pill, the rise of the pill. Um, 
and uh, some of the effects that it had. And it was not only was it tremendous to talk about uh, the abortion pill with her to learn more, but it was also tremendous because she's a hero of ours. Um, and, and we look up to her and the organization she works for. But the very next episode, episode 44, we had on Dr. Matt Harris and he met uh, Matthew Harrison rather. And he talked about the abortion pill reversal procedure that he uh, had worked on with some of his colleagues and he had really uh, pioneered in, in many ways. And the abortion pill reversal procedure is one where if you take the the abortion pill, is it's two pills. So you take one and then sometime later you take another. If you take one and regret your decision and want to reverse the procedure, you can still save your child's life through this procedure that he invented and created. Um, and he has some some stats. I can't remember them off the top of children who have been saved. And one of the phenomenal things that he said was um, that I think it was Planned Parenthood's research arm or, or some pro-abortion group was going to debunk his findings and debunk the things that they were claiming. And uh, they had an even a higher success rate of babies that were saved after <laughs> uh, after using this procedure. And so um, that was that was huge for me in the sense that, you know, you, you learn a lot more about the the challenges that we face in, in the way that the abortion industry is molding and evolving in our in our day and age. I mean, people are, are frightened by, in many ways because of covid. They don't want to go to a busy waiting room. And so the appeal of, of being able to order some abortion pills online, have them to your home. You don't have to you know have someone drive you to the abortion clinic. No one has to know you lock yourself in your bathroom for a little bit and take these pills. Um, and so there's these massive challenges that we as Christians are facing when it comes to this issue. But then to see what Christians are actually doing in response, um, Christian doctors and, and and others as well, in creating the abortion pill reversal procedure that has actually changed lives. And he's talked about a generation of children that are, are coming up now who have been saved by this procedure. So um, episode 43 and 44 um, were some highlights for me. That the abortion pill thing is interesting because I, was it the movie Unplanned? Is that the one? I can't remember where they actually portray that in the beginning. Um, the main character, uh, it's a true story, but she takes that pill and it goes through absolute hell, like thinking she's dying from what is going on with her body. And they they want they want to portray this as if it's oh yeah, it's totally safe. You you won't feel a thing and. For her, it was like she was going to bleed to death pretty much. So, um, yeah, that is that is fascinating just to hear. I mean, to, especially the the guy making the 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 cure in effect for mm -hmm. for this this evil uh, designed pill. But so, guys, how can people find you? Where can they find you? What other resources can you recommend to them? Absolutely. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast content. So if you're subscribed to the All of Life show, which you should be, uh, go find the Pro-Life guys and subscribe to us as well. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your content. We're on YouTube uh, as well. You can search the Pro-Life guys podcast and watch most of our conversations as well. Uh, we also we have a website, prolifeguys.com, where you can learn more. Um, you can request to book speakers, whether it be Cam or myself or both of us. And then we're on your social media platforms as well. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I can't remember your second question, Stuart. You had a second question, I think. 
Oh, he was just asking how to contact you and more resources, and you covered that very well. I have to say, and this is totally aside, but your guys' voices are so relaxing to listen to. I just, I feel like closing my eyes and just laying on a beach somewhere listening to your pro-life podcast. Like, that's really odd, but you guys have great podcast voices. This is how we end all our podcasts, with just overwhelming compliments. Yeah, yeah. That's great. I'm glad glad we have voices you like to listen to. I hope people aren't turning us on at like 1030 at night beside their bed on their nightstand (laughs) (laughs) getting all these downloads from people falling asleep on it yeah that's right Uh, but thank you for that thank you guys so much for being here we really appreciate it for our listeners make sure to go to pro-life guys podcast to listen to more of their information and their very relaxing voices and just remember you guys that as christians as believers um we're called to speak the truth in love and um and they don't they have to go together love has to have truth the truth has to have love so when you are um having these conversations with your sphere of influence as peter mentioned just make sure to be truthful, be loving. It's not your job to change a heart. That's the job of the Lord and he can do that just fine. So thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Thank you, Peter and Cam for being on with us. And I just, uh, I, I love your mission and I want to not only embolden our listeners, but also you guys um, from one sister to a brother, two brothers, keep doing what you're doing because it's, it's having a huge impact on our culture today. Thanks guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you.